everyone welcome to a new episode of crypto chats um this week we're gonna shake it up a little bit and we're gonna talk about an alien encounter um instead of our usual cryptid but that's okay still really cool still interesting um this week we're taking it to canada um much like we did last week um and we're gonna talk about the falcon lake incident it's one of canada's most well-documented alien encounters um in the history of the country so um yeah it's really cool and let's get into it okay so as i said this takes place in canada specifically manitoba um and it was in 1967 in may um so basically like we've got this dude his name is steven stefan Ste- i guess it's pronounced stefan because that's how it's spelled anyway his last name is Mikalak. That's probably wrong, but I did my best. Um, And Stefan Mikulak was an amateur geologist uh, who really liked to search the Falcon Lake area for quartz and silver, which is really cool. I've been watching a lot of shows about mining um, various crystals and rocks and stuff lately, and I think it's super neat. Um, So in May of 1967, he set out for a long weekend to go uh, search for some quartz specifically. Uh, So May 20th, um, Stefan is at a quartz vein at the edge of the Canadian Shield, um, which to my knowledge is like a fancy name for a big rock formation. Um, It's like a specific kind of rock that ranges from like the Great Lakes up through northern Canada. Um, I am not an amateur geologist, so I could not tell you anything about this specific kind of rock. Um, But from what I gathered, it's, you know, a good place to find quartz. Uh, especially because that's where Mr. Uh, Mikulak was at a quartz vein. So that just kind of makes sense. Um, And he's doing his thing, you know, like looking for quartz when he was uh, startled suddenly by a flock of geese that flew overhead, just like out of nowhere. Um, So naturally he looked up, tried to figure out what what the hell the geese were doing. And when he looked up, he noticed that there were two cigar-shaped crafts with a reddish glow about 150 feet away from him in the sky. One of the crafts then landed on a flat rock, uh, not too far away from him, and turned into a disc-like shape, while the other craft stayed in the air and was still cigar-shaped. Stefan's initial thought was that the crafts were secret U.S. military experiments, Um, so he did what I think is actually like a pretty solid plan, is he sat there for about 30 minutes and tried to sketch them and like tried to draw what he was seeing so that he had something tangible to show people to be like hey this is what i saw i think that's awesome because i don't think at least to my knowledge people don't really do that that much but i think that that's like a really good idea well i know people do it with cryptids but like you know what i mean like i feel like that's not everyone's first thought is like oh i'm gonna draw this weird thing that i just saw in front of me so after he finished his sketch, he decided to approach the landed craft. And when he started to approach this craft as he got closer to it, he noted that there was like a lot of warm air coming out of it and that it smelled like sulfur um, very strongly. And there were like the hissing sounds of like air and the whirring sounds of like a motor. Um, which I guess makes sense for anything that, that moves, 
but um, it was still odd just, you know, considering the circumstances. Um, and then he also noted that one of the doors on the craft was actually open, um, one of the doors on the side, and that from the inside, he could see that there were really bright lights kind of shining outward, um, and he said that he could hear muffled voices, like, spilling out from this door. This part's really interesting to me because I think it's really neat what, um, where he was going with this. So he tried to call out to whoever he, whoever he thought was inside, which at this point was still, um, U.S. military officials. Like, he still thought that it was a U.S. military project. So he called out in English, and when he didn't get a reply, then he tried Polish, German, and Russian. Um, so he literally just sat there and was like, hold on, gonna flex on these, on these people real quick and call out to them in four languages, but he didn't get a reply to any of them, so naturally he got closer. I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think what he probably thought that these people, like, needed help or something, because that, like, especially, you know, him sitting there thinking that it was, um, like a U.S. experiment or something, like, he maybe thought that they, like, needed help, um, which is, I think is why he was so adamant about getting close and trying to communicate with who was in there, because I think he more or less was like, hey, these guys seem like maybe they're stuck. I don't know that for sure, because I don't think he ever publicly talked about his intention behind doing any of this stuff, but that's fine. That's my, that's my idea, at least. Uh, so we got closer to it after, you know, he called out to these people in four different languages and did not hear anything in return. So he went up to it and he noted that the metal on the craft was completely seamless, like very smooth, very seamless. And he kind of was just like, well, that's weird, like, because that's not really how, how that works. Um, and then when he went to look into the side door that was open, the light was so bright that he had to put welding goggles on. Um, and I, I learned that he used to, when he would go um, mining for these different crystals and stuff, he would wear welding goggles so that he wouldn't get rocks in his eyes, which is smart because from some of the shows I've been watching lately, these people do not wear goggles. And I'm like, you're going to get a rock in the freaking eyeball and you're not going to have a good time. Anyway, moving on. He puts his welding goggles on and then he actually could see inside because it kind of negated some of that super bright light. And he noted that he could see light beams, um, couldn't find the source, but he could see light beams kind of bouncing off the walls and panels of various colored flashing lights, but he couldn't actually see a person or any sort of being, anything that was living on the inside. Um, and once he realized that there was nobody actually in there, he kind of stepped out of the doorway um, to try to get away of from this like weird thing that was happening in front of him. Um, and as he stepped away, the door started like hissing, like, like air, like hissing air, and then just sealed in front of him. And he was like, okay, so that's weird. And then he went to touch the craft. He was like, I'm going to touch this. I don't really know why, because that would not have been my first thought, but he went to touch it. And he noted that his gloves, the fingertips on his gloves melted completely off. So I feel like that in my mind, that would have been the time to be like, all right, I should probably go and like get away from this fucking weird thing that just melted my gloves. Um, but that's not what he did. Instead, he stood there and kind of just continued to observe the craft. And then he noticed that it started to turn and it turned counterclockwise 
and eventually it exposed a panel in front of him, a panel that was like a grid of holes. And he kind of just stood there and watched it. And if you have seen any sort of sci-fi movie, you know that that's probably not that good place to be standing because shortly after the panel um, kind of blew out what was either air or gas, um, it was never really determined, but it blew out this like burst of, I'm going to say gas, I'm going to go ahead and just say it was gas, um, that was strong enough that it pushed him backwards and set his clothes on fire. Um, and there are photos online, this is like, you know, this man wrote a lot of books and stuff about his experience, he was very open about it, and there are photos online of his tank top that was like shredded and like definitely crispy and had, you know, the, the marks from the panel you know, like you can see the shape of the panel and the definition of like the grid of holes and stuff on it um, from when this specific thing happened, which is fucking wild to me. Like, that's crazy. That's like, they definitely, they definitely checked out when they said this it was one of the most documented alien encounter cases in Canada, because that's crazy. Like a lot of other uh, UFO encounters don't really have this much evidence to them and this much like tangible um, I don't know, like, pieces left behind, so I think it's, it's really cool. Um, so his clothes got set on fire, he's got kind of pushed back, he's kind of, like, laying there, like, you know, stumbled, um, and he rips off the clothing that is now burning him, um, and as he's doing that, the craft just takes off and flies away. So, now he's sitting there, and he's not wearing a shirt, and he feels like shit, so the gas that, that hit him from this panel made him super nauseous and like very disoriented. And he ended up stumbling through the forest for a while before he got back to his motel and then took a bus, a bus back home, um, periodically just vomiting the whole time, which is a nightmare. But he did in fact make it back home safely, well kind of safely, because then he was later treated for his burns on his chest and his stomach in the hospital, and while he was in the hospital, his burns turned into um, sores in the grid pattern that he, ex that he saw on this craft. Um, so he suffered afterwards for like six weeks from gastrointestinal issues, headaches, blackouts, and weight loss, um, all of which, if you guys aren't familiar, are side effects of radiation poisoning. Um, and, you know, it's like, obviously, yeah, like we know that in a lot of like alien encounters, there are high levels of radiation. That's just kind of how it is. Uh, and it's crazy. And this, this case, I think is honestly so fucking cool just because like there are photos of him in the hospital with these burns and these sores on him where you can see the grid pattern and you can see how it lines up with his shirt um, that was like torched and like ripped off of him. Um, it gets kind of sad though because he ends up, you know, like he died in 1999, I believe, um, and he kind of regretted telling everybody about it because his family was mocked and like People just didn't believe him for a very long time. They thought he was fucking crazy. Um, and I just, you know, Mickelack family, if you're out there, I believe him. I, I thought that he was telling the truth. There's no reason to lie about being... Because what else? How else do you get a panel-like grid of source on you? You know? And how do you end up, like, going mining and walking away with such high levels of radiation poisoning? 
I just, uh, you know what, whatever. This case, though, the radiation poisoning specifically reminds me a lot of Travis Walton and his um, alien abduction because I did a lot of research on this when, um, when I first learned about it, you know, a million years ago when I was a kid. But one of the things that stuck with me is that where Travis Walton says he was dropped off in the craft. They did a lot of testing in the area on the trees and in the soil for radiation levels. And it's crazy because they found so much radiation in the soil. But then also the trees, um, when they cut the trees, they saw that the way that the rings were shaped is there was very clearly like no radiation for a very long time. And then a big like section of where the trees were affected by the radiation, which is so cool to me. I just like... The thing about the radiation, like, when it comes to, like, alien encounters and, like, UFO encounters and stuff, it's just, like, a level of it that I think is so neat. Like, I don't really want to experience it. I'm really kind of fine with having radiation poisoning, but I think it's a really cool layer of it that I don't think anyone really talks about that much. Like, yeah, it's cool to see a UFO, and, you know, I've seen a few in my time, um, but it's also cool how they have such a huge effect on nature and people and things around us because of the radiation that they give off. I just think that's neat. I don't know. I think everything about an alien encounter is neat. But yeah, so for um, Stefan Mikulak, really just had a bad time. Um, to my knowledge, he never really went mining again, which is kind of sad. Can you imagine like having an experience like this and having it just like ruin your hobby for you? Like that sucks. Anyway, yeah, you guys can see why this is um, Canada's most documented, most well-documented uh, UFO in encounter. Because it's like, it's really, I urge all of you to Google the Falcon Lake incident so that you can see the photos um, of Stefan's shirt and his chest. And, oh, I forgot about this. They also found a piece of radioactive metal um, at the site where uh, Stephen said that this encounter happened. You know, he led people back there after, you know, however long, maybe once he was done feeling like ass, and they found a chunk of radioactive metal, which I, I don't think necessarily came from the craft, but it's just another layer of like, you know, this piece of metal might have already been there, and now it's like seriously like showing high levels of radiation because of this incident. I don't know. I think it's fucking cool. But yeah, I urge you guys to go and look up the pictures because it's really neat. And yeah, that's what I have for you guys this week. I know I don't do alien stuff that much, but I hope you enjoyed it anyway. Um, cause this is definitely one of the cooler ones that I think I've ever learned about. Uh, yeah. So I will be back next week with another episode. Um, next week I have something special for you guys and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it, but um, it's going to be super cool, and I know that you guys will enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you guys stick around for next week's special episode, and I will see you then. Bye!